about gross point blank the true beginning to john cusack movies what happened to jeremy piven and mini driver perfection so grab your popcorn and reese's pieces and let's break it down on the post credit podcast something you know and that's that's if, if that you believe in that kind of thing that would be my first guess <laughs> that would be my first guess of uh, what what went wrong well it was obviously the leprechaun <laughs> we pissed him off Hello. <laughs> what else would it be anyways let's 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 move on to what we're trying to do today today we're uh talking about uh gross point blank this movie came out in 1997 it's in let's see action comedy crime uh, rom-com. I mean, what would you what would you label this movie as? Um, it's definitely a John Cusack movie. <laughs> That's the best definition. I can yeah, I mean that really is because it's one of those John Cusack movies where it's a very weird, um, an abstract, um, concept for a movie because it's about a hitman. So you have the violence there. But around this time in Hollywood, I mean, you didn't really have many of the hitman with a heart of gold type thing. You had like Pulp Fiction that had come out, you know, and you had Jules and Which is ironic that character. you said Pulp Fiction, too. Why? Well, remember in the shootout scene in this movie? Oh, yeah. They shot Bruce Willis' head off. Yeah. And then the, pulp, the little Sam, cardboard Samuel, stand-up thing. Uma Thurman and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's just one of those things where... You know, it's it's awkward because it's it's an action, kind of an action movie about a, a, a hitman, but then it's also a comedy movie about a hitman going back to his his school and everything. So it's just one of these weird movies that probably wouldn't be made nowadays. Yeah, there's definitely some layers to it. You know, I mean, as far a weird as weird '90s movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just kind of like layers of different types <laughs> of movie filmmaking layered in there like you know i mean you've got like the the comedy layered in there the drama layered in there you know the action laid in there you know a little bit of everything but it's just kind of like like i said laid there it's not it's not really kind of inserted it's in the john proper cusack points. it's john cusack movie. right right absolutely yeah yeah it's one of those ones where obviously john cusack had a big hand in it 
um, and the writing and all that. You know, movies like this one and High Fidelity, they were written by other people, but yeah. then John Cusack gets the rights to the script and then he rewrites or at least the story treatments or whatever and then either writes a script or rewrites a script to tailor it to him and his interests and all that, his music and all that kind of stuff, you know. Two of the people, uh, Steve Pink and another guy that was uh, that worked on this uh, the movie with the, the writing and stuff. Um, it's like DV something. DV Divicentis or something like that. Um, but anyways, they, they work in, and write with John Cusack. They all went to high school together and there they have cameos in the movie one of them a steve pink is the <laughs> that security guard yeah <laughs> that drives around he's like well you know i'm more a part of this community than you are <laughs> you remember that yeah yeah he was a rental rent a cop or and, whatever and it's funny that you should say that too because you know you're saying that they all went to high school like but didn't john cusack and jeremy piven actually go to high school together? i don't think they went to high school together but they did grow up like in the same area whenever they were training to be actors yeah they all trained at like a theater group um what was it called it was some kind of like a uh uh just see it was a theater workshop it was owned by uh, jeremy piven's oh, it's like the laugh parents. factory or you know one of these ones Something, where... but it had the name piven yeah. in it oh, okay so they both trained there um and you know because of probably how they look mm-hmm. you know john cusack ended up being a leading man and jeremy piven ended up playing the guy that he usually played until he got his role in entourage where he's always like the best friend the unlikable jackass that's kind of likable yeah you know where you know like he makes you laugh and stuff but you're like this guy's a jackass i wouldn't like being friends with him but maybe yeah. i would be yeah that a type personality that's very good at their job basically yeah of. or just like just i mean he's just so out there and everything yeah. we'll, we'll talk more about him and everything but i don't know it's just one of these um it's a 90s movie yeah you know 90s had its own particular 90s brand of you know weirdness to the script yeah. yeah true blue 90s it's just like you know things that like are are outlandish to think of nowadays and they were outlandish back then but it was okay because that was the thing it's a john cusack you know, it's a john cusack i mean we also had spice world where you had the spice girls being abducted by aliens and different yeah. things like that yeah. so it was the 90s it was awesome so this movie is about martin blank played by um John Cusack, he's a professional assassin, and he's sent on a mission to a small Detroit suburb known as Gross Point. It's also his hometown. Um, and by coincidence, his 10-year high school reunion party is taking place there at the same time. Um, so basically what happened is Martin Blank freaked out, joined the mil- joined the army, became an assassin... Yeah, he works. On, he works for his. Own, that's how he's trying to. Explain I think you went for the Piven. flashback a little, without forgetting another flashback that you. What? Okay, let me let me explain it. So the reason he's coming to town is because he has an assignment. The reason he has this assignment is because he messed up on a previous assignment. Well, that yeah, they we'll do get show that. us. But oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I was just saying this. This is the premise of the movie. Is, okay. is why the reason he that the, the whole movie takes place is he's going back to his hometown because he messed up on an earlier job, and he didn't quite mess up, but somebody else came and and kind of snaked it under him. So um, he has to he has to make amends and he has to do this hit, but it's it's in real close by to his hometown and he's having a high school reunion and so 
you know, he's he's feeling kind of uh, restless with the job that he's in, so he wants to think of, you know, he wants to do something else. He's thinking about doing something else. Mm-hmm. And so he, when he goes back to his reunion, that's where he decides what he wants to do. But this movie stars John Cusack uh, as Martin Blank, uh, stars Minnie Driver as Debbie Newberry, and also stars uh, Alan Arkin, Dan Aykroyd, Joan Cusack, Hank Azaria, uh, Jeremy Piven, and uh, Mitchell Ryan. Um, um, Michael Cudlitz is also in as you know Abraham from The Walking Dead. Mitchell Ryan, he plays Debbie's dad. He's one of these mm-hmm. like character actors on a lot of TV shows and different things like that. But he always seems to play like in the military or two. I think. Yeah, I like so, some him. kind of authoritative yeah. figure. Uh, wasn't he? Was he the guy? No, I was thinking about the general dude that was in Austin Powers. Oh yeah, I yeah, can't no. remember now, but he kind of looked like that guy, but. Um, but anyway, so it's a really good cast. Obviously, Joan Cusack is in this. Obviously. Um, because, you know, it's a John. Not, not that they do every movie together, but they do a lot of movies together. You know, I think it's one of those brother-sister things, just like with your friends. You know, which is also, you know, we have Hank Azaria in this, this movie, right? He plays some kind of a Extru- government yeah. ops guy, probably CIA, maybe even FBI. But he's kind of like on... They're, him and his partner are kind of like on the payroll of the Dan Aykroyd's uh, yeah of the um, uh, what do you call it the competition yeah uh, Martin Blank's competition another hitman so they're on the payroll there um, but they can't kill him until he does something wrong anyways we get into that but Hank Azaria is in it and he was also in America's Sweethearts if you remember that yeah. Where uh, he he played the guy that uh, Catherine Zeta Jones started dating, cheating on him with, and all that kind of stuff. He's so also that, the voice of Apu in Simpsons. He's a voice of a lot of people in The Simpsons. But yeah. yes, yeah, I'd say maybe most notably Apu. But um, you know, he, he John Cusack. He's made a career out of playing characters that you know only the audience likes, right? Yeah. Like, you know. None of the people in the movie like him, or he's disliked by by generally a lot of people, or whatever it is. You're I mean, tolerated. even in 2012, you know, yeah, his he's ex-wife tolerated. doesn't like him, his kids don't yeah, like yeah. him, his boss doesn't like him, yeah. all this kind of stuff, you know. So no matter what, you know, they like you said, they tolerate him. People at school and say anything, they kind of just tolerate yeah. him. They don't like him or anything like that. What's her name doesn't even know who he is. Yeah, um, all this kind of stuff. Is it Simone? What was her name? What was Ioni Sky's name in Say Anything? Uh, Not I Simone. Thought, was it? I can't think. Uh, maybe it's Simone. No, isn't Simone Ferris Bueller? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Anyways, he, he always plays this this character that, that only the audience likes, right? And even sometimes the audience doesn't. Or at least the audience does, but they're confused as to why, right? Yeah. So so he's, he's kind of like a... Diane Court. Diane Court, that's right, because he was courting her. Yes. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, so so even we as an audience are sometimes confused because when you, th- you when it's just real surface level, you're just like, okay, yeah, you know, I like I like John Cusack's character and that. But when you start thinking about his character and you really start thinking about it, you're like, this guy's a jackass. You know, I don't think I'd like this yeah. guy. Or he's always yelling or moody or or just you know. You know, just having a bad time about something. Um, he must have some kind of a, a redeemable charm that just trumps mm-hmm. everything else. I don't know if it's the way he smiles, the way he's kind of um, schmucky, 
whenever he kind of self-deprecates or whatever it may be. Well, if you notice in like in all his movies, I mean, let's not get it twisted here. You know, John Cusack's my favorite actor. Right. You know, personally, I could care less, you know, but as far as his acting is, is my favorite actor, bar none. You know, I love what he does in movies, you know. But the thing is, is if you notice, if you watch any of his movies, it seems like there's it's a slow response on everything. So, like, when he's going to say something, he don't he doesn't directly shout it out. It's a matter of he sits there, and again, because it's a John Cusack movie, he just sits there, ponders, and then he gives a response, you know, 90% of the time. You know, it's never really like a, you know, just back and forth, you know. So, that must make it kind of hard to act with him. And he's explosive a lot in places yeah. that don't really make like sense. Like Nicolas Cage. Like yeah, where he'll just start going, ah, Barry! You know, he's yelling at yeah. Jack yeah. Black in High Fidelity or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but I would say the only time that that's not, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of his like very first early, early roles, but I remember him in Pretty in Pink. He was yeah. one of, um, what's the, what's the nerdy dude in that guy? He ended up playing like the bully in Edward Scissorhands. Oh, um, he's got three names. Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, there we go. So yeah, he was one of his friends and he was like really kind of nerdy and just like, you know, I don't know. He, he didn't talk much and all that kind of stuff so that was interesting what is your favorite role of his say anything is it well duh, i don't know <laughs> i think i was gonna say i know your favorite role is say anything but yeah i mean that that role was good but i mean like i said high fidelity was you know a good one for him this one was a great one for him um but i mean you know i, I just don't think you can beat that that and you know that's the thing with John Cusack. A lot of his roles, like his personality, his deep down personality, is a lot alike in a lot of his roles. It just transfers over. Yeah, I think his best movies would probably be like High Fidelity and Runaway Jerry. Like uh, maybe not even Runaway Jerry, but those are like I think considered to be like you yeah. know the better type of movies. Um, obviously, he had something with high fidelity and writing it and everything like that getting to control what music is in it and you know he's a big fan of the clash so there was a lot of the clash in there different things uh i think his best movie is is high fidelity but you know my favorites uh, i actually have three tied for first place i have three favorite john cusack movies Mm -hmm. i don't know if i could pick one over the other but it's this one gross point blake America's Sweethearts and Identity. I know a lot of people... No, di- Identity. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's not so much his acting. I mean, he did a phenomenal job in that movie, but that movie's premise is... One, I mean, it's 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 got to be close to one of my top favorite movies. I mean, not on the top 10 list, but it's like number 11. Yeah, and Identity, where it is for me, it, it, it's there because of the movie more so than John Cusack's that, that, And that's what I was yeah, trying to say. Yeah. You know? So, like, the premise is really good that twist and everything if who you would think that. that like i mean who would th- yeah the guy's a genius the writer and creator of that movie is just a genius just because who would have thought like that and it's know? very hard and we've tried to say this as much as we can without spoiling identity but it's very hard with if the, we were doing a podcast it wouldn't matter yeah it probably wouldn't yeah. matter but you know people came, people came into this <laughs> this episode expecting to hear about right. gross point right, blank right 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 they're not expecting to get spoiled exactly. on the other one. So, but identity, it's one of those things where it could be a bad movie very easily. It's one of these things where, like, if one little thing gives away the twist, then it kind of spoils the entire movie. 
Yeah. You know, it only it o- it's only so impactful when you when you find out at the end. And that was the Amanda Pete that was about. the girl in there, right? Amanda Pete, Ray Liotta. Yeah, I think Amanda Pete's probably role was probably the worst one in that one movie. I mean, not saying she's a bad actress. It's just I didn't really like her. I don't know. She just kind of. And they were in another movie together in 2012. Yeah, and uh, yep. Amanda Pete or whatever. Yeah, but you know, uh, he's had a he's had a lot of good roles. Um, uh, America's Sweetheart. I know a lot of people yeah. don't like that. I thought I find it extremely entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's likable. John Cusack's likable, even though he's a weirdo. Uh, yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones is likable because she's so unlikable because mm-hmm. she's such a terrible person in the movie, yeah. but she plays it so well. Um, Julia Roberts is always amazing. Yeah. You know, so and and Billy Crystal is just like the icing, the cherry on top. He is what makes that movie, you know, yeah. pop and everything. He's uh, and he, of course, you know, Billy Crystal is always comedy gold, but especially in that movie, uh, yeah. he just everything <laughs> everything he does and says in that movie is just hilarious. I mean, talking he just, about like, like causing re- problems. Yeah, and talking about like, you know, retiring actors and stuff like that, you know. If you notice, it just seems like a lot of these uh these comedic actors, famous comedic actors, kind of like, you know, have a, a point in their in their career that they just stop making movies. You know, like Adam Sandler has really kind of gotten on to that point. Yeah, he came out with Uncut Gems, but there was like a good, you know, five to eight year period of time where he didn't really do anything. Uh, you know, like no movies or nothing. I mean, then he started coming out with all these Netflix stuff, but... He was doing... I think he was doing like a lot of producing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he was also doing... Excuse me. We used to also doing a lot of other stuff, and he's doing animation stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Hotel Transylvania movies. He did yeah. three, or three or four of those. But what I'm saying is like, you see a lot of these like, like real physical type comedians you know like billy crystal stuff like that you know like kind of really you know at a certain Robin point Williams, the, yeah jim they go Carrey. they go to, towards jim carrey exactly is another one you know but they seem to really kind of go towards the background like almost like it's a you know they like only have so much all the their energy yeah all that energy in the tank <laughs> is gone and they they're having to refill it you know in a way almost like uh you know, it takes a toll on their brain and their body at the same time where, you know, a lot of these other, yeah, the actions takes a toll on your body really. And then, you know, a lot of these dramas probably take a toll on, you know, your head and your brain. So are you saying that John Q, same thing has happened with John Cusack? Cause he has definitely felt fallen off. Oh of yeah. But that's what I'm saying is that, you know, he's a very kind of a physical type actor, you know I mean? And, and like what, in say anything, he was doing like Taekwondo and stuff like that. And this one, you kickboxing. know, and he's doing kickboxing, you know, yeah, kickboxing. I mean, I think that's actually his sport. He knows it is because he started learning that and yeah. say anything. Yeah, and actually, his coach, the one that trained him to do kickboxing and say anything, mm-hmm. and then for years after, continued to train him because then he he kept up with kickboxing for years after yeah. that. I'm sure he doesn't anymore. Maybe he does, yeah. whatever. But um, but his coach, his the per his trainer, the person that. He taught him how to do it and, and trains him all the time and stuff. Yeah. He's the guy who plays the hitman in this movie. Oh, the that's one that he kills right. Oh, with yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I mean, th- that's kind of what the point I'm getting at is that, you know, you see a lot of these comedic actors. It's, it's you know, to be like Rob Williams or, you know, some, you know, even John Cusack and, and some of these actors, you know, it really got to <laughs> take a toll on your body mentally and physically, you know, because you start to become like the person that this character is, you know, and, 
And, you know, you see a lot of these great actors that had these movies come out in the 90s and then just kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, Dan Aykroyd's another one, you know, where just comedic genius. And then he just kind of goes to the background. You know, he just starts doing producing and stuff like that. A lot of these actors, Chevy Chase, you know, even, you know, he'll every once in a while come out with something. You I, know? Think, <clears throat> I think I think Dan Aykroyd. Or, what I want to say, I think I think John Bellucci, Bill Murray, I think his death affected Dan Aykroyd a lot. And maybe that's yeah. why he didn't, I don't know. Cause I know that happened long, you know, yeah. even before Dan Aykroyd got his most famous stuff, but I don't know, maybe he's just, he's from a different era too. So, yeah. you know, and you got certain actors that are from a different era that can adjust with the times. Yeah. And then you have others where you're like, well, that was a good 90s star. That was a good 80s yeah. star. Yeah. Like whatever. anybody from Saturday Night Live in the early nineties, mid nineties, stuff like that. You know, a lot of those actors are kind of falling off comedy gold for, in the 90s yeah. but nowadays not so much except for people like Adam Sandler you but Adam I mean? Sandler he he's like John Cusack in that he made his own movies so when yes. he made movies yep. he didn't make comedy movies he didn't make rom-com movies he made Adam Sandler yes. movies yeah. so <clears throat> that's one of those things but um, so what do you think would be his biggest mistake uh, mistake misstep in in a role Oh, you know, what was his worst role, or I guess? Well, say. John Cusack's? Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. Like, I, I, we forgot to even add Serendipity. I love that movie. Serendipity's the, good. I don't say movie. it would be one of my favorites, but but that one was pretty, pretty good. Also, another movie that Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven has been in quite a few of these, because like we said, they were childhood yeah. friends. So he's been in Gross Point Blank with him. He's been in Serendipity. He's been in Say Anything. He's been in The Grifters. He's been in Runaway Jury. Uh, I think there's been maybe a couple others, but they've been quite a few things together, but they're not friends anymore. Really? Oh, Cusack and Piven? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Uh, so apparently when Jeremy Piven was getting popular with Entourage and everything, yeah. uh, he made the insinuation, um, not by his exact words, but he made the insinuation that they're kind of, they've kind of fallen off and that John Cusack can't handle having friends that have success when he's not. Okay. So basically he's saying that kind of John Cusack uh, treated him differently, basically, when he started getting famous. Hmm. Well, I hate to say it, but 90% of his movies that he's acted with, usually the secondary star, a lot of them have blown up to be pretty famous people. But that's what I'm saying is that John Cusack has told him or has said when asked about it, you know, he's like, no, it's completely untrue. Uh, I wish Jeremy the best. And, you know, I've always wished him the best and everything. So who knows on that one? But he's Jeremy Pivens basically said, you know, you know, when when somebody can handle their friends having success, it says something about that person. And that's what he was talking about. John Cusack in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I, ju- I just think they're all big babies anyway, so, well, in he, my opinion. I mean, and obviously you know what's been going on with Jeremy Piven, right? Uh, no. So, uh, this guy, he, he he's won a Golden Globe, three Emmys for his role as Ari Gold on Entourage, right? right? right One of right, my right. favorite roles of his because he's such he does such a good job of playing that hyped-up jackass that just has to be on coke the entire time, right? Um, I'm pretty sure they even mentioned that. I don't know. But so anyways, uh, nowadays, you know, he's spending his time on the road performing stand-up comedy. Good for him. 
Going back to the basics. Going back to the basics, but it's because of this Me Too stuff that happened. Did you hear about that? Uh, I'm so sure. People I think have, I did, actually. A but. few people have come out here and there and said that he's been aggressive, been sexually assaulting, and all this kind of stuff. Um, in Piven's mind, you know, he says that journalists have escalated the Me Too movement in an effort to, uh, you know, get more, garner more clicks on their articles. Okay. So he's saying that because he played this role of Ari Gold, that yeah. they look at that role and say, this must be how he is in real life. They hear uh-huh. these little, they ha- they hear these comments from these people that have apparently allegedly been, you know, sexually assaulted by him. And, you know, they're like, oh, let's, 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 let's go, go find, because he's saying basically the Me Too movement brought, brought, brought on like journalists that like you know that was the hot story that's what would get the the pops the looks the likes and all that right so they were like go find anybody else in hollywood who this who's who's had problems with this right okay just go out there and find them so what he said is that basically um you know, he, he said, who benefits from putting that story out? You know, the problem was that it was a feeding frenzy and the editors basically said, go out there, get me more, get those Hollywood actors, let's round them up. You know, all that. Um, uh, but he makes the point that, you know, the Daily, uh, the Daily Telegraph in Australia pub- published two reports of sexual m- misconduct against the Oscar winner uh, Jeffrey Rush. And then Rush filed a defamation case against the newspaper and wound up winning because yeah. they had just made it up. Yeah. So now, during this Me Too movement, when you have so many people coming to get clout, to get money, to get whatever it may be, how much does that dilute the true stories of 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 women in particular who have gone through yeah. these horrible, horrible things, been assaulted, and and all these kind of stuff? You know, so does it start to dilute the the real stories? And and how do we know if Piven is telling the truth. Um, yeah. You know, on November, in November in 2017, uh, Jeremy Piven, he took a, a polygraph test mm-hmm. um, and he was asked to, he volunteered. He's like, look, I, this is, none of this is true and we're going to take a poly, we're going to take a lie detector test. So he got himself hooked up. He was asked a series of questions about each allegation, which allegation he, uh, and, and he had denied those allegations and he passed the test with no sign of deception. Um, yeah. and the polygraph test was administered by a member of the American Polygraph Association. So they just showed that there was no deception. He said, no, I never did this stuff. Mm-hmm. So who's telling the truth? I don't know. Yeah. And during the Me Too mm-hmm. movement, you know, there was like, you know, believe a woman no matter what. I get the, the, I get the thinking behind that. Yeah. Because it's been such a male dominated world for mm-hmm. centuries and everything um, that, you know, these things get swept under the rug so easily. Yeah. Not all of them happen, but the ones that are actually happening, they get swept under the rug too, you know, you know, too easily. Now, did something need to change? Yes, something definitely needed to change. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but how much of that was people jumping on the bandwagon? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Anyways, we're, we're you know we're getting way off. The, yeah. the, but I thought I would at least dive into Jeremy Pivens. Yeah. Because. We're probably going to be talking a lot about a lot of movies that he's in because we like a lot of the movies that he's in. Yeah. And it's better to get this out of the way now, talking about Jeremy Piven, because he's kind of persona non grata in Hollywood now, along with like Kevin Spacey, 
you know, obviously Harvey Cattell and all that kind of stuff, or not Harvey Cattell, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. My bad, Harvey Cattell. Yeah. Apologies there. Uh, but, you know, it's it's one of these things that I figure we should at least address because he's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. One of my favorite character actors. I don't know if I'd put him in top 10 or whatever, but, like, he, I, every time I see him, he's just, uh, he's giving it his all. You could tell. He mm-hmm. never phones in a, a role or a performance. Yeah. No, he he was great in this movie. I just thought it was his character was hilarious in the movie for the simple fact that like you know it, it was like he him and John Cusack's character just picked up like like they had just seen each other yesterday. You know what I mean? Yeah, they did. Like but then they made a later, joke about it like later. five minutes later after they've all been talking and it's been cool. Oh, have you been doing? Yeah, I've been doing this and all that kind of stuff. And then they're just driving. Oh yeah, here let me light this up. Blah blah. blah. And then. <laughs> He in the middle of a sentence, he's like, "Well, yeah, I've been doing ten years." Yeah. Then he blows up and does the whole thing. So you look good. You look good. Thank you. You may have uh... ten years, man. Ten. Where have you been for ten years? I freaked out. Joined the army. Went into business for myself. I'm a professional killer. Oh, does that? Do you have to do postgraduate work for that, or can you can you jump right in? I'm curious about that. It's, not, it's an open market. Open market. Yeah. That's good. Wow. Ten years, man. Ten. Ten years. Ten years. Ten. Ten years. Ten years. I freaked out. I joined the army. I worked for the government. I went into business with myself. I'm a professional killer. That's what I did. Okay. Well, can I join up? Yes. But so can, I thought that was pretty unique. Can anybody watching this movie really think that it's only been ten years since the, the, these cast of characters have been in high school? Like John. Well, Cusack's, no, John Cusack looks like he's in his late thirties. Yeah, almost to his forties. Jeremy Piven looks like he's, like in, he's almost like in his forties. Yeah, but Jeremy okay. Piven also he looked a little bit older. He had you know the receding hairline at an early yeah. age. And but then the kind of the security stuff. guy that supposedly went to high school with him, and then the the ladies and everything that went to high school, and and like okay. Really, Minnie Driver's character is probably the only one that I could believe that was about 10 years ago for her for high school. Well, the rest she looks of them, amazing, but... Yeah, but it, it was so weird that, that they were like, oh, it's 10 years, uh, maybe 15? Yeah, but, you know, it's one of those Hollywood things where, like, when do we actually get teenage characters? Right, right. But it was kind of like they were probably thinking about, okay, so should we do a 10-year reunion? You know, or maybe maybe go with the you know started out with a twenty year reunion. Well, you know these characters might have been married and divorced and had about three kids by this point. So maybe let's do a ten year. You know, I think it makes more sense to do ten years. Twenty years is not. It, it doesn't. Who open actually up, goes to their twenty year reunion? Well, and it doesn't open up the possibilities of rekindling stuff yeah. with yeah. the Debbie. Well, that's what I was getting at without why they were doing that. Yeah, because Debbie know? wouldn't wait around for yeah. twenty years. I mean. I doubt she. Well, she didn't wait around for ten years because yeah. in the movie it did say that she got married real quick and then mm-hmm. she she was done with that and had to move back in with her dad. But yeah. I don't know. I, I just don't know. See Debbie waiting around for twenty years and not having a family or whatever. Yeah, I mean his his you know back to with, with Jeremy Piven you know and his, his character is just I just thought it was so so awesome that he was just kind of like going with it and then when John Cusack was like oh I'm a hitman and he's like ah ha ha you know and then he's like. He did that with then everybody. Repeat, I know he he literally did not lie to anybody about this. He situation. found it amusing, but then he started to because it was so amusing. People were like, "Ah, oh, whatever." Then he started making stuff up, and he's like, "You know, I I, I sell 
I sell chicken, you know, yeah. I work at KFC or whatever. <laughs> but, but I mean, him saying that, you know, like he, I get a little bit ahead, but yeah, okay. So they're at the dance and then uh, he ends up this a hire a hitman ends up getting hired to kill him and for over a dog, a dog issue. And then uh, he ends up uh, killing him and wrapping him up. And then Jeremy Piven or well, you know, mini driver for the first season and then, you know, pretty much runs screaming. Jeremy Piven's character shows up, sees it and then just goes with it. You know, not, not like even really hesitating so much, you know, when they're just like kind of going with it. Yeah. Yeah, and it is like without even missing a step, you know, and and it's it's one of those things that adds to the comedy, right? Because yeah. it's absurd that nobody would 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 question that. But most people, whatever. if they if they see a guy with a, a a pen in his hand, covered in blood, his hands covered in blood, a, a guy basically laying there covered in blood, pretty much dead. Well, you know, Minnie Driver or Debbie reacted appropriately. She did, but you know, most people she would be like, "Okay, screaming I'm going to call nine one one." You and know, she, and, and like and call the guy. When she was going down the stairs, she she didn't say anything intelligible. No, you know, she's like, "It's off, like gibberish as she's screaming and running downstairs. That's like a legitimate reaction to seeing somebody that right. you love, that you knew, or whatever, and then you meet after ten years and they've just murdered somebody. You kind yeah. of flip out a little bit. But you know, it's what was was funny about the whole thing you know is because you know he didn't really ever really lie to anybody in this entire movie he he fibbed just to mess with people but I, yeah i mean he but was to pretty a point, honest but you know anytime any of them he even asked, told her father yes and and you know it almost seems like you know he kind of believed it in a way you know what i mean the father did was the only one that believed him somewhat right at the end of his Maybe, reaction yeah. but you know like he literally told mini driver he said you know he, he's an assassin and and she's like Okay, ha, 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 No, she ha. said and, you get good dental of that. Yeah. <laughs> Be, you know, playing along with it. And then when he actually, you know, when she walks in and him actually killing somebody, she is blown away and she is mad at him. And you lied, you lied. And I'm sitting there like, what did he lie about? Like, she accused him of lying. Well, she said, you know, um, you know, because he said something about if you saw some of the files and she goes, I don't want to hear about the files. I want to hear about the dead people. Tell me about the dead people. Yeah. yeah. And she goes, why did it never occur to you that what you were doing is wrong? Yeah. You were joking. People joke about the horrible things that they don't do. They don't do them. It's absurd. When I left, I joined the army. And when I took the service exam, my psych profile fit a certain moral flexibility would be the only way to describe it. I was loaned out to a CIA-sponsored program. And we sort of found each other. That's the way it works. So you... You're a government spook? Yes. I mean, no, I was before, but I'm not now. Explain the dead people. Who do you kill? That's very complicated, but you do it because you're trained to do it, you were encouraged to do it, and ultimately, you know, you get to like it. I know that sounds bad. You're a psychopath. No, no, no. Psychopath kills for no reason. I killed for money. It's a job. That didn't sound right. Uh, let me see if I can put it another way. If I show up at your door, chances are you did something to bring me there. Look, I bottomed out here. I've lost my taste for it completely. That's why I came back, and I wanted to see you. You know, I wanted to start over. Leave that behind. Oh, so I'm part of, I'm part of your romantic new beginning, right? How come you never learned that it was wrong? that there are certain things you do not do. 
you do not do in a civilized society. Yeah, what civilizations are we talking about? Oh, shut up. I mean, history. Shut up! Everything about you is a lie. Everything. Stay away from me. And, you know, it, it goes into that sense where, you, where you, if you try to think about the whole thing, um, it's 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 more alarming than, you know, what the what the movie is trying to tell you, because what the movie shows you, he only kills two people in the movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He kills the one at the beginning and he kills the. Uh, oh, no. Sorry. Yeah, he kills, Acro too. Well. Yeah. Uh, so at three. And if you count the explosion. No, because that guy I got out. So three people he killed. Yeah. Right. So he killed the very first person at the end who was going to shoot somebody else. So yeah. that was a hitman. He killed the guy who was trying to kill him. That was a hitman. Yeah. He killed Dan Aykroyd. That was a hitman. Yeah. So it shows him killing these bad people, but it never shows him killing like these hitmen, but yeah. it never shows you killing anybody else, but which I'm do- sure he's had other he, killings. He does bring it up because when she when she says, you know, you know, don't you think about this? You know, what, you know, killing people, blah blah blah. And he says, "Well, at first, at first, he said, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to do it morally. You know, basically like kill Come only bad people. You know, and, and you're trying to justify." It. And he said, "And then after a while, you, you start to like enjoy it. it. Yeah, yeah, you you enjoy it and you like it. And then that kind of terrified her even more because she was like." She's like, oh, okay, maybe think it in the back of her head. She at goes, first. you're oh, a maybe, psychopath. Maybe not, yeah, maybe he's not as bad. He's only killing bad people. Or, oh, oh, and then 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 he's like, you know, I, I, the military trained me to do this. And she's like, oh, okay, so you did it for the government order. Well, you I did know, it by myself, and then I went out on my own. Yeah, but yeah, you know, he he says, you know, uh, you know, you begin to like it and everything, and and uh, she says you're a psychopath, and he's like, you know, psychopaths kill for no reason. I kill for money. That didn't sound right. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then he had to correct himself. But uh, to go through the premise real quick. Uh, basically, Martin Blank uh, left ten years ago. Left her. Uh, left Debbie at her home. She he was supposed to pick her up for the prom. Take her to the prom. He never came. Never came to graduation. He just disappeared on prom night. Never came back and hasn't been back until this day he returns for the reunion. Um, uh, so he, when he left, he joined the army. They taught him to be to do wet work because he had a psychological profile that said that he was kind of detached from His human emotions, emotions yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we learn a little bit of why that is later on, but. Um, you know, basically, he he popped for a certain type of job, and that was basically wet work for you know the company, the CIA yeah. or whatever. And uh, so he, you know, he became a professional killer for the government, and then went out on his own and started taking contracts and all that. Um, so he, at the beginning of the movie, he goes to kill this uh, this hitman who's trying to assassinate somebody else. So it's like a protection detail, kind of. He knows that this guy's going to get killed. But as he's packing up his stuff after he kills that guy, Dan Aykroyd comes out of nowhere and kills the guy that he was supposed to save. So he messed up, right? And so uh, it wasn't his fault. It was Dan Aykroyd's fault. And uh, Dan Aykroyd's starting to – he wants to get together basically what John Wick has going on, right? A society of assassins that yeah. where nobody's stepping on each other's toe and you only take one job and there's not multiple hires for a job or whatever. 
So he wants to set up like a John Wick society within the uh, the contract killers. Um, but anyways, he uh, you know of course you know John Cusack he's a loner he doesn't want anything to do with anybody else, and uh, his assistant tells him that he got a uh, uh, a um, invitation in the mail to his high school his ten year high school reunion. His assistant, by the way, played by Joan Cusack, his amazing, amazing. sister, who's been twice nominated for award. And, Needs to win one, in my opinion. But she won a award for this movie. Um, uh, it's nothing like right, but I mean, like an Oscar or whatever. She yeah. she's like a, a two time Oscar nominee or something yeah. like that. Which she made a joke about when when John Cusack got his star on the Hollywood Walk. Yeah, you know, basically saying she was basically saying, you know, I've got two nominations and I should be the one getting the star, but whatever, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, but, but she said it than your little brother, you right? Know? And she said it in a much more likable way than yeah. what I just said, yeah. but you know, I was just like paraphrasing. But um, so, anyways, she tells him, "Hey, your high school reunion comes up," and you could tell he's like not feeling the whole contract killer thing anymore. Like he's good at it, but he keeps messing up. You know, if, if it's uh, you know he messes up the the Dan Aykroyd thing, and then he tries to kill somebody else to make it look like a heart attack, and that gets messed up, and he has to end up going to shoot the guy. You know, so he yeah. keeps messing up, and you know he seems to think that he's some some kind of a a crisis of conscience uh you know crisis of character he doesn't he's not sure if what he's doing is what he needs to be doing you know what's the whole point of reunions yeah is to come back and show off who you became yeah basically to tell people what you've been doing see if what other people's been doing and basically to see if your life is any better than people you went to high school with so i mean i think he starts thinking about that and think starts thinking about am i where i want to be in life yeah you know, so he decides to go back. But um, as he's going back, his assistant says, "Hey, there uh, to to fix the mistake you made with those other two things. Um, here's a you got a contract." So he gets this envelope, but he doesn't open it. He takes it with him, doesn't open it, keeps it in his room, and decides uh, my priority right now is to reconnect with Debbie, the one that I left behind, played by um, Minnie Driver. So, and Minnie Driver does a pretty good job in this, doesn't she? She does. She does. But she, she does a very good job at masking her British accent. Yeah. I, there was only one or once or twice where it kind of came through. Yeah. And I heard it a bit and I was like, oh, but for I the most feel, part, it I was can, pretty good. I kind of feel like, you know, from the 90s, she didn't really make it out of the 90s. In the she did a world. lot of stuff, though. But I mean, she did like. I just don't remember seeing she, her anything after. She did that TV show, The Riches, or I think it's called oh, The Riches yeah. or whatever. She was doing that for a while. With Eddie Lizard or whatever yeah, his name Eddie is. Eddie Izzard. Izzard Lizard. Yeah, and they, you know, and she did Matt Damon thing, The Goodwill Hunting. And she, she, I mean, she was definitely like a big 90s draw. The 90s, though, you know, uh, yeah, a big know. 90s draw for the romantic uh, type of movies. Uh, but not so much in the later ones is it the riches it's not the yeah, riches i think it is or is it the the burbs or something like that well, it's, they're a bunch it's basically of con, they're con yeah, man they're, family they're, basically. they're con artists and they take over like i think it's the riches the riches um but i thought it was the riches you know you know what's funny is that they do put her they tend to put her in these roles right mini driver where she's like you know this Hollywood sweetheart look, you know, like the the Julia Roberts or the, you know, the leading actress, you know, the heartthrob actress or whatever you want to call them. But I just don't see that she, she doesn't like personify that, you know? I mean, she still does a great job when she's in that role, but she does, you know, when you, I don't know how, how I can say this without not saying, sounding like I'm being, uh, <laughs> sexist or something you know but but she's just she's just uh 
you know, not not this drop dead gorgeous beauty that you see on Hollywood that is probably halfway fake, you know, fake anyways. You know, she's more of a natural beauty, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. You know, that's not bad, right? No. no. I mean, you got the Hollywood glam and then you got, you know. That's where I'm trying to go with it, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was, uh, she came in to Will and Grace. Um, she was part of Will and Grace, but she was also did speechless, remember, about that son who they had and he was like, uh, was he in a wheelchair? Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Well, no, I mean, okay, with Minnie Driver, I had Minnie Driver and then. Um, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Now. Now, that was his psychiatrist. Well, not really his psychiatrist because, I mean, Alan Arkin, officially. he literally just said that you just keep showing up the same day, the same time, every single week. I told you. Without, no appointment. We have conflict of interest as soon as you told me what you do for a living. Yeah, he's like, what's the conflict? He's like, I'm afraid of you. Yeah. You didn't tell me what you did for a living for four sessions. Then you told me. And I said, I don't want to work with you. And yet you come back every week at the same time. That's a difficulty for me. On top of that, if you've committed a crime or if you're thinking about committing a crime, I have to tell the authorities. I know the law, okay? But I don't want to be withholding. I'm very serious about this process. And I know where you live. Oh, now see, that wasn't a nice thing to say. That wasn't designed to make me feel good. That's a kind of a not too subtle intimidation. And I, uh, I get filled with anxiety when you talk about something like that. Come on, I mean, that's. Come on. I was just kidding, all right? The thought never crossed my mind. You did think of it, Martin. You thought of it and then you said it. And now I'm left with, uh, with the aftermath of that, thinking I gotta, I gotta be creative in a really interesting way now, or Martin's gonna blow my brains out. And so he's like literally trying to ignore him, trying to, you know, he doesn't wanna go to the authorities about it. Well, he can't. About yeah, if he could if, if he knows anything specific yeah. about him committing a crime, but also he can't because <laughs> he's worried he's about getting killed. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so, but uh, you know, I just thought the funniest part of the movie, the funniest scene in the movie, <laughs> where John Cusack calls Alan Arkin and says. I don't think I can hire you anymore. I think I'm going to fire you. And all you see is Alan Arkin trying to hang up. He's well, yeah, he makes it sound he's like, trying to like hang up I don't think you're a very machine. good doctor. And he's like, I got a patient in there. He's just yeah. trying to break the thing. <laughs> but I think it's the funniest part in the whole entire movie because, you know, Alan Arkin, he doesn't have hardly any lines in the movie. I mean, it just No, he's just him. constantly like rubbing his head and just so stressed <laughs> out to be around. This this hitman guy and you know it's it's, it's an amazing performance and they they him, don't too. even yeah and he doesn't even set appointments up for him it's just John Cusack's character just uh, regularly shows up every <laughs> week like he has an appointment and and but the fact that he's just slamming this answering machine trying to get it to stop with a patient in the room you know and then John Cusack's basically telling him I don't think you're a good doctor or you're not a good fit for yeah, me so or what not firing yeah. you and all that <laughs> he's like, Doctor Oberman, it's Martin Blank. Listen, I just want to tell you that I don't want to work with you anymore. Things are going really well here. They're going a lot better than expected, and I just don't really feel like you're helpful in any way, and I don't think you're serious about the therapy. And So I want you to take a deep breath and realize that this is me firing you. Um, how would the reunion committee track this guy down? Uh, I mean, if it, well, if you notice, it had it was a packaging company. It was a front for a packaging company. Well, it's, so, uh, what is it? Pacific Trans Global. Yes, yeah, and and so 
that on the face of it is is legal, you know. So he yeah, he but, has to have a tax ID number. He has to have some sort of tax ID number. Is I it guess. smart for this guy to use his name, or should he no, have come up with an alias? No, but but again, it's one of those movie things that you always tell me you got to just suck yeah. It up. But I mean, in, even in it's movie things, it. usually they like change their name or something. That was kind of a big oversight of this movie. I thought was that he didn't go by a different name. Yeah, but, but you know, Martin Blank. That sounds like a made up name anyway. It really does. Yeah. But I mean, Joan Cusack. The way I prefer the other Martin, Martin Riggs. Yeah, and and oh, from uh, Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon. There you go. Yeah, um, but you know the the thing that's for me was their interaction. You know the the way that Joan and John Cusack interact in this movie, or any movie that they're in together. Because I mean, she doesn't say anything. Too. She always seems to frustrate him. Yeah, 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 and she's, you know, it's basically she plays the annoying older sister, you know, that all basically tells you how you should do your, you know, live your life, <laughs> how you should do this, how you shouldn't do that, you know, that kind of thing. The way she's she literally, even even though she's not his sister in the movie, like, even though she's only his sister in real life, you know, when it comes to this movie, she still is telling him what to do, how she should do it. Oh, you should go to the class reunion. You should do this. The way and she it, takes down the office, too. The way she's, like, banging stuff with it. And she's, like, got a hammer. And she's throwing gasoline around and stuff. And she's got the cigarette. And I'm like, well, that's and she's, like, singing and, 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 you know, having a good time doing that, it. And she she's... I will say this. She is the funniest part of this movie. She is. Absolutely 100%. Hands down. Like, like this. There's, there's supposed to be a comedy. Dan Aykroyd is pretty close. He's pretty funny and everything. But, like, obviously, John Cusack's the least funniest in this movie. I, I've got to say, there's got to be a meme for the way that Dan Aykroyd runs with two guns. Popcorn! The way that Dan Aykroyd runs with two guns. That's going to be my new thing, okay? <laughs> Where they're just, like, out there, like, yeah. chicka, chicka, chicka. He's just, like... Like this, like, yeah. like uh, it, it was, it was hilarious. When our I saw him running, our listeners I was, can't see did, what you're doing. Did you, did you see him running though with the two guns? <laughs> oh yeah, I was doing it. It, it was hilarious. Yes, yeah, so you saw it too. Yeah, but it, it's going to be a new skit for me. It's going to be the way that Dan Aykroyd runs with two guns. So, um, but it's it, it was so funny to see him, you know, shooting guns. You know what I mean? It just, it, it just didn't fit Dan Aykroyd as a character. I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he usually plays either funny or kind of schlubby. Or, type of characters, yeah, like Tommy Boy, you know, where he's kind of a jackass a yeah. little bit, you know, and and he just a jerk, and but you know, it, it's it's weird because Dan Aykroyd is the type of the person where he can play the bad guy, but with a smile on his face and still make you laugh. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where like usually, if an actor plays a bad guy, you know, that if they're a comedic actor and they play a bad guy. Not a lot of people can can make you laugh still by playing that bad guy, except for you know him and Mike Myers. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're playing Doctor Evil. You know, it's just that way that you know switching back and forth on that. You know, I mean Dan Aykroyd is just a classic uh, actor. I mean he's just one of the greats. You know, and and to have him in this movie along with Ju uh, with John Cusack and the way that John Cusack acts too. You know, because he's always got a little bit of comedic in his in all his acting, everything he does, anyways. Yeah, but it's kind of like uh, except for fourteen oh eight, kind of. Well, yeah, but it's like a subtle comedy. That it is. He has where it's like it's not obvious. It's like little, 
little things here and there or facial movements or reactions to other things. It's never him producing comedy. It's more reactionary comedy. Yeah, like... Uh, um, and even uh, then, it's not much. He usually plays like the straight guy and he surrounds himself with people that are the comedy part of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like... The, yeah, it's like uh, the whole nine yards was like this movie. You know, the way that it was set up. You know, no, with the, with the comedic, but yet, you know, shooting people. You Every know time I mean? everybody says whole nine yards, I just picture Matthew Perry running into the sliding glass door. But God, it's, it's that type of comedy, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, people are still shooting each other. Because, I mean, you don't see it. There wasn't a lot of blood in this. I mean, yeah, the stabbing with the pen, you know, there's quite a bit. But I like how afterwards he's like, hey, thanks for the pen. Just real like, <laughs> just real nonchalant, real quick in passing. Hey, uh, good to see you again. Thanks for the pen. Have a good one. You know, just like. Right. And you the, know, the, the true definition the thing that saved his life. Right. And then also, you know, the true definition of karma comes through. You know, you get that overbearing father that you, you dated a girl in high school and then you had this overbearing father that basically thought you were worthless and good for nothing and all this other stuff and that you were going to break his daughter's heart and then you come back 20 10 15 years later and basically save his life from didn't assassins she, didn't she say that her dad liked him though or didn't he say i always liked you or something like that well kind of kind of in yeah, a weird way i'm did. sure you know i mean you know obviously his daughter's kind of very free-spirited person and, and she you know he he the way he probably raised her was like that, and that, that's where he said he liked him, but probably he never knew that he liked him, you know? And But but the fact that, you know, it's the ultimate karma where, you know, he probably talked down on him and said, you know, trying to give him a talking to, and you did this and you did that, and then John Cusack has to come back and save him because he's actually a bad, uh, either bad dis- business deals because he's telling on the, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, John Cusack's Martin, he gets to town, um, and he's going to head to his school to, to take a peek at the school. As he comes into town, you know, Blister in the Sun by Violent Femmes are play, uh, plays. It's a very popular song. Also yeah. another huge... They played that, what, how many times? I counted two times, I know for right, sure. I know he, he changed from the Violent Femmes in the car to the Clash, yeah. straight to the Clash yeah. and everything. So, I mean, and obviously John Cusack's a huge Clash fan. And this is all his influence, you know, yeah. as far as the music. And if you notice a lot of his movies, I guarantee you he probably has some say when it comes to the music. Oh, yeah, and like in High Fidelity, like yeah. one of his lists named one of the Clash's albums on one of his lists that he was doing or whatever, but... Uh, why is that main radio station for the town just playing 80s music? Violent Femmes, The Clash, different things like that. Uh, Probably because of the reunion? Well, that and because this movie was centered around John Cusack choosing the music, so it's going to be playing music that John Cusack likes. That was going to be, my, guess that what, was gonna be my point. Say it with me. This is a... John Cusack John movie. Cusack movie. Yeah, the, you Come know... On, let's get in unison it's, here. Uh, John Cusack movie. Now you uh, got okay. a ready, set, go. John, John, Cusack, John, 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 John Cusack. It's, it's John, one of his movies. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's one of these things where it's like, okay, well they could say it's for the reunion, but realistically, it's just because John Cusack picked the picked the music. Yeah. 
yeah. most likely. Yeah. Um, now, you know, that's not to say anything about the director. I'm sure the director oh, yeah. has the say over that, but I think John Cusack, you know, he also obviously produced it and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it just, with, and, and, and John Cusack, he's, he's a smart actor, you know, in my opinion. Like, I feel like when he does movies like this, that's kind of why I like him because he, he kind of plays the same character in every single one of his he movies. Does. But that's what makes him a good actor is that you believe him to be, you know, somewhat different and you can believe him to mold into that character and for that particular film, but also believe that it's almost like a continuation of every single role he's ever done. And that being said, this movie, he had his emotions in check. He had control for the most part. I mean, you just see little things here and there, but in a lot of his movies, you know, America's sweetheart where he, he like put a motorcycle through the window or something like that. Or didn't yeah. he drive something through a window? I got to say, and you, I know you love that movie, but it's my least favorite John Cusack movie. America's sweetheart. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I think it's a great movie, but I mean, during that high fidelity, he, you know, and he was trying to get Charlie back, you know, he's calling her names. Yeah. He's like, you, and then he's like, let's work it out <laughs> after he just got done calling her name and stuff. But, um, you know, he plays those people that just they're explosive. But in this movie, he's very, I, ca- I call him Nicholas Cage. He's very Nicholas Cage because, you know, he's that very explosive when we're not a not con air yet. I know. But what I'm saying is like he's he's very explosive on some stuff that you're like, this is not something to be explosive about, you know, when you're talking about it or. You know, it's just like the emotions all over the board, you know, kind of thing. You know, you know, we're especially with Nicolas Cage, that guy, that guy will just yell randomly. Why didn't you put the bunny back in the box? <laughs> Talking about bad Southern accents. Dude, come on. Con one. Air was amazing. The worst. I no, I don't care what people say Even worse about than that. Vanderbeek. I'm sorry, but I it's worse than Vanderbeek. I don't care what people say about that movie. That movie is it's obviously meant to be outrageous and and just outlandish. Right. I, I like and it, it is fantastic. I, it's I, a great same thing with Battleship. Yeah. Everybody hates Battleship. That's a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's oh, weird. I like, I like it. You could critique it and everything like that. But I didn't go into a movie called Battleship <laughs> based on the board game Battleship to see an Oscar-winning movie. Yeah. I went in there because the trailer showed that it was full of action and aliens, and you know, invade Earth. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I didn't a- think Battleship would turn into yeah. an, an alien invasion story, but let's go it for it. It was awesome, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and the way they, they incorporated you. the grid yeah. and everything like that. Well, that's just kind of like with John Cusack in his role in 2012 like I was going into that because that's the time period that they were coming out with all the uh, apocalyptic type movies you know off of uh, you know uh, Independence Day really kind of started it but then you know you get uh, what what the uh, uh, Bruce Willis one the apocalypse oh my gosh I'm brain fart here uh, Armageddon? There we go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it, was, it came along with that, you know, and you're thinking, okay, this 2012. Is just well, gonna, it came out in 2012. I, I know. I know. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that it was trying to get into that same riff, and, and, and it was just. But, yeah, it was made by Roland Emmerich, right? And, yeah. He's and the he, one that did, like, uh, Independence Day. And, yeah. And different but he, like he did. I, I thought he did a really good job in that role, you yeah, know, in 2012, tomorrow. you know, and, and stuff like that. But. He was very exaggerative. I mean, but that was like a roller coaster of a ride where where most times, you know, he's very in your face and very Nicolas Cage. You I know? like Woody Harrelson in that movie. He played like the Alex Jones-esque <laughs> person that's conspiracy theory radio star. Yosemite. He's out and... Yet, uh, yet he was 100% right in everything he was right. saying. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, and he's talking about like you know French diplomats being killed off and all that kind yeah. of stuff, which. You look at nowadays, you know, like, okay, but obviously he was right there, too. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, yeah, that was that was a good one. You know, th- but this th- this movie, it's, it's kind of like a rom-con that, like, guys can get into, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not the sappy stuff. You don't have the sappy pop songs. You have things like The Clash and Violent Femmes yeah. and different things. Um, you have, you know, a full-on John Wick-type fight. That fight scene in the locker and the hallway, that was awesome. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't expect it to be that like rough and gritty. And when we go back to the fact that John John Cusack is uh, a trained fighter, and, and the guy he was, he was fighting was his trainer, exactly. And so, so you got you got to admit that that scene was. I mean, it was real natural. It wasn't a bunch of bunch of guys. They were probably some, sparred some crazy ninja so many room. times. Yeah. yeah, they weren't doing like crazy ninja moves. They were just doing actually like a brawl, like a street brawl, and it just it, it flowed so well and it looked so natural and it looked real. It really did. And and it was like it was so just like it was hard hitting. You know, you felt the you know the sound design was really good. You felt the hits the slams against the locker and everything it's not it's not a fight scene you expect to see in something like this you'd expect to see like a five second fight scene or these highly choreographed type thing where this looked like they were actually using like hand-to-hand combat techniques well let's talk about with 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 his character right his character uh, the development of his character was just kind of like he fell into everything like meaning that he like fell into the relationship with this girl in high school, right? And then just kind of fell out of it, fell into the army, you know, and got, fell into, you know, going into becoming, you know, wet works operative or operative. Yeah. And then fell, falling into, you know, doing his own thing. But I mean, it just didn't seem like he enjoyed any of it. Like, yeah. like he hated, he was fighting, going back to his reunion and fighting, going back to that small town. But it just kind of seemed like it was the only natural thing that he did in his life was go back to that reunion and really kind of uh, realize what, who he wants to be and who, what kind of person he is. But everything else in his life, he just kind of fell into it. And it was just kind of like he had no direction whatsoever. Yeah. And the reunion is, is speaking of the reunion is really realistic the way the characters have like really shallow conversations with each other you know because they don't really care everyone's trying to compare themselves to each other you know yeah. what I mean um, you know what what is the point of reunions nowadays well like we were saying earlier it's just pretty much just to show off who wh- what what you've done in life but there shouldn't be reunions nowadays anymore right no because, I mean we have social media which usually and you know it's different from us because we graduated a little bit earlier but if we were to graduate in say 2010 even 2005 you know for the most part you you had myspace back then all that kind of stuff people were keeping track then and then you got facebook everybody switched over to facebook and, you know, that's how it's been. So you're really cre- keeping track with everybody and, and what's going on in each other's lives. The, the world has shrunk so much due to uh, social media and technology and everything that that it's it's so easy to find out what's going on in someone's life with just a click of a button. You know, they yeah. share what's going on in their life. So is there a need for, like, high school reunions anymore like there is here? Yes and no. Um, you know... I, I don't really know of anybody that ever went to their high school reunion. Like, I don't know anybody personally that has ever been to their high school reunion. I never went to mine. Just no, because. I mean, when the 10-year mark came, I didn't even realize it. It just came and went. Obviously, we don't live yeah. in the same places. Neither of us live in the same places because we, we went to high school in two different states. I, I feel like it's for people that normally just live right around high school, you know, right around where they used to live. I feel like it's only for those whose worlds haven't grown 
So they've stayed in the same place for years. You know right. what I mean? Right, right. They they they've stayed in the, stayed in the same place for years. You know, they haven't experienced more life out there because I feel like the more you experience, the more you get out there and do something, the more a, the concept of reunion seems irrelevant. It seems pointless um, because you know if you're a mature adult who's experiencing these things in life, it's good to reminisce about different things. But I think I think it's I think it's more uh, shows more maturity if you know you just move on. From- well, and to prove your point here is is the simple reason why you don't have college reunions. You know, you spend four years in college just like you spend four but years. The in Ivy high Leagues do though, like Harvard yeah. and Yale and some of those. They'll have their right. reunions. But what but I'm yeah, saying basic is, colleges. Yeah, don't. and so you don't go and have a high school, uh, college reunion, and you know, especially somebody that you know, if you didn't grow up there and you didn't live there your entire life. You're not going to go to the high school reunion, really, either, because it's like, you know, what's the point, really? Yeah, and I think it's high school works because you're so much into everybody's lives, whereas college, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. To a point, but I I feel like you mature more in in college. It would make more sense in college than in high school. I think think people who have generally just, like, are... Are, have a healthy sense and and knowledge of how to move on past high school. Yeah. I'm not knocking. Has it no no reason to go back. Yeah. Now there are people that you know that's the greatest time in their life. That's fine. That's that's for them. Yeah. I I it wasn't great for me. It wasn't miserable for me. It was just a time for me. But some people, it was like the greatest time in their life. They made huge friendships, and they've maintained those friendships. So for them to get all together, you know, that's a cool big thing for them. I don't see why you don't just have a party at your house or something if yeah. you just want to connect with those friends. With those What's the point people? in connecting with people that you never really talk to anyways or that you still don't keep in contact with? Yeah. That's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make, you know. You know, I wrote down a question like, how did reunions even start? Yeah. I'm sure it was just one of these. It probably started with college reunions, like the Ivy Leagues or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it ever did with high schools or whatever, but I don't know. I just, I just feel like, I just feel like, I, I, I don't get reunions. I don't either. I don't get high school reunions. I, if they had college reunions, I wouldn't get that either. Um, it's like just, I, I have no desire to really go back to my high school ever. I mean, we barely yeah. even have family reunions. I mean, we used to. Yeah. But I mean. You know, we really don't do those anymore, but I, I just don't, I don't get the point of it because I don't talk to, there's a couple people I talk to from school, Yeah, but that's really it. Even if I did talk to more people, I already talked to them on social, there's no point for it. So maybe it's just one of these things where I don't see the point to it nowadays because of social media and everything, but maybe it was, it was a better thing back in the day when you honestly didn't know what people were doing. Right, 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 right. Um, and the school that they go to is called John Marshall High. Um, this is a high school in California that's been in many movies. Uh, I'm going to list a few, but it's been in a lot. And it's actually been in uh, a movie that we did uh, last month in our teen movie deal. Okay. So John Marshall High was also Ridley High School in Greece. Okay. Uh, uh, or Rydell, I should say. Um, it was also Springwood High in Nightmare on Elm Street. Huh. It was... Uh, what is it? Meadowbrook High in Pretty Pink. Uh, Pretty in Pink. It was Henry High School in the Buffy movie. Okay. Uh, with um, Christy Swanson. Christy Swanson. Um, and uh, it was in. It's been in Young Sheldon. It's been in iCarly. It's been in The Wonder Years. It's been Boy Meets World. It's been all these things. Nice. It's very commonly. Uh, it's also been in Harley Wait. 
Yeah. Or that was that's, the high school uh, where that Amanda pulled up with her yep, pop tart yep. and all that kind of stuff. I remember that scene. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, so yeah, this is a very, very famous high school. They wanted to film in Gross Point, uh, but it was just too expensive because yeah. there is a, a place called Gross Point, Michigan, um, right they, outside of Detroit and everything. They didn't want to do it because, um, mainly because they didn't want to associate somebody graduating from that high school being an assassin and coming back that's why they didn't want it to be filmed in the high school somebody go but the reason they didn't film in gross point because they wanted to they wanted to film it in that town uh but it's just a money thing yeah so they said they spent about half a day in gross point taking aerial shots from a helicopter Uh so they could get things looking right and everything but that's really it for that one um I don't know. Uh, it's it's just one of these famous because I saw the school and I was like, I've seen that. I don't know where. I'm sure it's been in plenty, but yeah, it's been in all those, and it's been in a lot of others. That I just didn't. Mention. And before you said the thing about the can't hardly wait or that movie that we did that that one, I, I knew it. Like I was talking to my wife about it too. Like, I swear. I've just seen that. I've seen that school from somewhere, and and then. I remember the scene, you know, where, where it was like lightning, you know, yeah. thunderstorm behind her. Yeah, I remember that. Walking on the Sun by uh-huh. uh, um, Smash Mouth. Um, so, was it, I mean, before you even saw this, it's pretty obvious that the dad is the mark, right? No. Like, before it's I thought At first, when, when I originally watched this movie, I thought it was the guy that they met at... Um, at the oh, just one of the guys at the reunion. At the reunion, the the one that had gave uh, him the pen. Yeah, the the two guys with the two guys around yeah. him. I thought at first when I this I watched this movie a long time ago, but yeah. when I first saw it, I was like, okay, he's got to be the mark. You know, I knew it had to be somebody there that was going to be the mark, and I was like, it's got to be that one guy that had these two, you know, guys wearing suits that were security, you know, and he was came up with this uh, outlandish kind of story, and I'm like. I got a feeling that it's maybe maybe he's the mark. Then I had no clue it was the dad. I remember thinking that it was either Jeremy Piven. He had either got yeah, himself, I thought that too. Gotten himself into some crazy mess with insurance fraud or something like that. You know, something that a struggling guy like that would have tried to scam his way into. Um, or it could have been the dad because you know it takes special time to uh, introduce. The two of them, John Cusack and the dad, you know, it takes comes in. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, contract killer and stuff. It's this, you know, it's 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 the guy, you know, Mitchell Ryan there that you know he's a character actor, so it's not just some random guy that yeah. plays her dad. Yeah. Okay, okay, so this guy's important because he's played by this character actor and everything. Um, you know, and take the time to introduce the two. He's like the only rich guy in the town no. I guess it makes it seem like he's the only rich guy in the town or whatever there's just a and you know there's a big house to it it just there was a lot of different things where you're just like okay this guy's gotta be important to the story somehow yeah you know because why would it even show anything about her parents well, they're I, all grown up. I, you know I, what I mean, right? But at the same time, you gotta gotta you gotta have some sort of attachment to the town besides her. And you know, if you're not going to show anybody in his family directly, mm-hmm. then why not show somebody in her family? You know, kind of more of an attachment to that town. Yeah, maybe that's why they did. They they kind of showed. That's what I thought originally, but then, you know, just going around it, you know. It, you kind of figure out you you don't know what he's up to, but like you said, he's a rich because they made a point to show that that's the house that he was trying to go into, but he was nervous to go into because she knew that he she lived there and then her dad lived there, and so they did kind of make a point to say, okay, this is a rich, big, big, rich house that he lives in, you know, or she lives in. 
Can I ask you a question? Hmm. It's something I've always wondered about this movie. And maybe it's obvious, but what is the point of the long scene of him staring into the baby's eyes? Uh, Do you think that's coming, maybe him coming to terms with what life is and the taking of life? Yeah, maybe, and how maybe we all start off seeing his morality, babies, or something like maybe that. Maybe realizing his morality at that point, because it spends a good minute having them cutting back and forth between the baby's face, John Cusack's face, the baby's face, and just how they. And, and I gotta say, that's one of the most adorable babies I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> Seriously, that is that is an adorable baby. Yeah. But you know, just the way that they were looking back and forth, I, I, and I don't know if maybe our viewers have a different view on it. I kind of looked at it as, you know, he was having this crisis of conscience or whatever about the job, and that him with the baby there, because think of it, how many babies has he been holding in the last 10 years? Well, true. He's been in this life, yeah. not part of any kind of domestic, not having friends. He's been 24-7, nonstop. He wakes up an assassin. He goes to bed an assassin. He's not having social get-togethers and all this kind of stuff. He's been doing that. So he probably hasn't even held a baby. Yeah forever or whatever you know so it's one of these things where i i think it's he doesn't get to see that type that type of innocence much well because his, his only attachment to the real world you know i mean because it doesn't he doesn't talk about having all kinds of relationships and stuff like that and really just you know his job's been his relationship so his only attachment has been his secretary slash whatever the heck she is manager or, you know in joan cusack yeah so that's been his only real attachment to the world and so, you know, with her saying going to the school, you know, it was it was trying to like her way of trying to awaken something in him. You know what I mean? I mean, because she knows that, you know, she's going to be losing a job soon. You know, if, if he, she keeps pushing him towards his morality, you know, and I think that baby thing was just kind of saying, you know, maybe I fell into this and I shouldn't be doing this anymore. You know what I mean? That scene, by the way, is what made me fall in love with Under Pressure. Um, because I think I heard it a bunch when I was younger and everything, but I never really got into the, the listening to the whole song. But that build up at the end where David Bowie's singing. Yeah. But anyways, during that part, uh, you know, that really made me fall in love with that song. Um, and... You know, music's got to be the best part of this movie. I really, though, liked the scene. I guess I'd say it's probably... It's tied with when he goes into the radio booth for the first time and meets her again. Yeah, that um, seemed like a very natural scene when he did that. Like, it just, it just kind of... You know that it probably that's happened before but it not not like as smooth as he did that you know i mean he just what? went went into the studio oh. having a conversation with her and she's playing off of it just like it's nothing you but know first I mean? when she he first walks in her reaction is great she just goes uh. <laughs> yeah and then they start making out well she first like she drops her jaw and he goes hey and she goes uh. Like that's <laughs> like that's the first thing you say to me after yeah. you've been missing for ten years is hey. Yeah. Well, she knew that. Well, and here's the thing: is do you think that maybe she wasn't surprised uh, just a little bit because she, I think maybe she wondered if he was coming back yeah. for the reunion and stuff. She mentioned but maybe something she, about she that. She didn't you know? realize. She didn't really think he was coming back yeah. or whatever. But the fact that he did come back was shocking enough to her, and she had to have thought because she kissed him right there in the booth yeah. she had to have thought 
there might be a chance. There, well, there, there's probably a good reason. If he's coming back, yeah. you've got to have a good reason because yeah. who would show their face after doing something well, like I that? I mean, besides saying, oh, I, I got married real quick or whatever, it just kind of made the movie made her, uh, you know, portrayed her character almost like she had been just waiting for 10 years for him to come back. Yeah. How are, uh, how are you? It's good to see you. You look great. How long has it been? 10 years? How long has it been? Since you stood me up on prom night and vanished without a word? Yeah. 10 years, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You tell me about yourself. In California, travel a lot around on business. That's it? Yeah. That's 10 years? Yeah. I would hope for a great abduction story or something. Yeah, had a few thrilling moments here and there, but, you know, flew by. So what's your business? Professional killer. You could handle with that? No. I gotta go. So you're working. It's a great. I mean, it's a great show. I've been listening. I mean, since I got back into town. But I'll come back. What are the odds? <laughs> I don't know. I'd say that scene in the DJ booth, um, along with this other scene that I was getting to, was the uh, the one where they were up on the little balcony in the gym during the thing yeah. and uh, just kind of uh, people watching my love open the do- my love opens the door my starts playing by uh, Peter Townsend and you know that's that's always been one of my favorite songs um, and there are different versions of it the yeah. one that plays in this movie is my favorite version okay um, it's also the one that was in um, take me home tonight yeah but uh, great movie. it's it's it just the way that that's playing and, you know, she I think she she you know, she went off on him in the DJ booth. But then throughout the rest of the time until they got to the prom, I think she could kind of see that he was a little broken. He was dealing with some yeah. demons. He had been through some stuff. And, you know, she kind of apologized, said, you know, I was maybe a little too harsh. You're not really broken, just mildly sprained. Yeah. I had recurring dreams about you. Did I tell you that? Like five nights a week for like six years. Did I tell you that? You know, yesterday on the radio. When you publicly humiliated me? Yeah, well, you know, no less than you deserve. I think, I think I was overly harsh when I said that you were broken. Uh, Really? How so? I don't think you're broken. No? I think you're mildly sprained <laughs> nothing that can't be mended wow I think, I think that's a compliment yeah what was I gonna say that you're glad you came back and you're real happy to see me yeah It's not over yet. Do you have a wife in Arkansas? No. Do you want to dance? Sure. Okay. would never happen in the real world like 
like this whole story would not. I mean, again, granted, it yeah. is a movie. Yeah. But this is not something that could ever translate into real life because, yeah. you know, I mean, finding out that this guy is a hitman, you know, your first reaction is not, oh, I'm going to fall back in love with him, you know, that kind of thing. No, it's it's usually let's see how far I can get away from this person, which is how she reacted because she did, but she didn't believe him because who would believe it? She even says it. She goes, "You joke about the things, the awful things that you don't do. You don't actually do them. That's crazy. Yeah, you know that you don't actually do them. You know the way she delivered that was was awesome too because she's so incredulous. So I mean, I I like that scene where where she's she's just real incredulous. But I like the scene that when they're just kind of. You know, he's taken everything in from the reunion. He He's he's realized, you know, that he had a lot of stuff in his past, but that doesn't have to define his future and yeah. everything. I mean, one of the things about this movie that's so brilliant is it doesn't explain the relationship between him and his father. No. But what he does is he goes and buys a bottle of scotch, opens it up, and just pours, pours it. it on the grave, drops the bottle, and walks away. Yeah. And that one scene tells you everything you need to know about him and his dad his dad was an alcoholic he was abusive and he wants nothing to do with it and, and you know i did say the whole attachment thing you know because they didn't bring in his parents but i mean they did bring in his mom you do get to see his mom and realize that you know that's kind of something uh, he just kind of left his mom just like when he's like in the, in, nurse in the crazy home nurse said well no she didn't get left in the crazy home she was in the house but then yeah. remember she had to get rid of the house but that's what i'm was, saying like like she she ended up in a crazy home and and just you know he's just kind of like, where's the money i said yeah. yeah well he sent her money he, he obviously didn't know what her situation was yeah and he sees that she's got dementia she's losing her mind she's like you know the nurses tell me you're on uh, lithium and she's like oh they're gossiping blah 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 or something she's pretty loud mouths yeah. or whatever yeah but, you know, I, I don't know. I just like those scenes. Um, what's your favorite scene? Uh, it's or favorite part of the movie? Al- Alan Arkin, where, where uh, he, he calls uh, Alan Arkin's character to fire him. And he's got the the, the person in, in the uh, room with him, uh, another patient. And she's just like, and got she's tissues. Just, and she's like, what's uh, yeah. going on? And, and he is just telling, basically, you know, John Cusack saying, you suck. You, you haven't helped me. Uh, your advice is bad. And, you know, Alan Arkin... You're a terrible therapist as he's trying to be a therapist. (laughs) Even though he, you know, he's not even his therapist to begin with. But the fact that, I mean, Alan Arkin's not saying a word. He's just trying to turn off the answering machine. What's what's the worst part of this movie? What did you not like? I I didn't like uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Cusack's chemistry. It just didn't... Popcorn. Yeah, it just didn't... It didn't... Like Dan Aykroyd separately did great job. It in this was movie. weird the way they talked to yeah, each other, like but it, real fast and cut off sentences and yeah. making references to something you don't know what they're talking about. I mean, now I did like the scenes where you know they're, they're both got guns on them and they don't trust each other at all, one bit, even in a restaurant with a crowd of people. John Cusack hits that tray down. And he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and you're like, what are you doing? Now, I mean, that that funny scene. Those those are, are great scenes. But their chemistry when they're talking to each other just doesn't it, – it doesn't feel right. It's not natural. It doesn't feel uh, like – I'm not saying it doesn't feel scripted because it feels overly it's scripted. It's one of those rare times when you feel like John Cusack has his energy stolen from him. Like in this yeah. scene, he yeah. should be more energetic. But Dan Aykroyd's the one that's like really energetic and going crazy. And it's like yeah. John Cusack's almost overwhelmed by the energy of Dan Aykroyd that yeah. he – can't perform in that way you well, know, or it's he's because, more of like a subtle quiet yeah well john cusack's used to probably running running the the 
the witty comebacks and things like that, you know, fast talking and, and, and all fast that talking kind of where stuff. Dan Aykroyd has perfected it, well, you know, yeah, I mean, by this point, Saturday Night Live, right, right, kind of and stuff. so it just it just seems yeah, like he's a good writer, yeah, he's he's overpowering John Cusack's uh, acting abilities in a way, you know, and and you know, but. Again, I still go back to the fact what that... What is John Cusack's weakness, weakness? The way that Dan Aykroyd runs <laughs> with two guns. That is his weakness. Yeah. Uh, I'd say my, my... I think the worst part of this movie is Hank Azaria and the partner, the agents. <laughs> yeah, but some of the stuff they... I mean... there's Their role in this movie is completely pointless. It is. Um, they, they, let's see. They make a prank call to the radio station... Um, they're in a bathroom, um, and then they come in. Blast- they're really bad at their job. And they come in blasting at the end. Yeah. and get ended up getting completely murdered. So, oh, that's that's somebody. That's another person that John Cusack killed. But they're dirty agents. Well, so it was Dan Aykroyd and John Cusack together killed, and they're still of, dirty so, agents. Yeah. So, I mean, he was still not killing anybody that's good or anything. Yeah. But I just thought they're completely unnecessary. Like. The whole point of them was to make him feel paranoid that people yeah. were following him and watching. But him, right? he knew off the bat. But the assassin was there. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd was there, so that he had enough to make him paranoid. I don't. I don't know what the point of having those characters in there yeah, was. That's Do true. you know? No. Like I. I can't remember anything they did in the movie no. except for sit around in cars Pretty and much. come in blasting at the yeah. end. And their whole point was, well, we can't do anything until he actually breaks the law. And it's like, uh, I think you're kind of crossed over the dark side mm-hmm. enough to yeah. where you can just make stuff up exactly. now, but. Anyways, um, did you enjoy watching this as I much love as you this did? Movie. We keep asking that question because a lot of these movies are movies that oh, I love that movie. Let's talk about this on the podcast. Yeah, and it could be a movie that we haven't seen for twenty years. And this is yeah. one of those ones that I have not watched for about twenty years since I watched it originally. And I used to watch it a lot, you know. And then I stopped watching it, and I didn't realize how good this movie was you until a, I watched it again. You got a Spock thing going on with your eyebrows here. Oh, this really? one's going like way up here. Hey, don't coming don't down. say anything because my wife will want to just shave my eyebrows off. <laughs> yeah, unless she likes to do something, pluck and yeah, pop zits yeah, and all she, kinds of weird stuff. Me. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree with you. I I think. Because we have come back to certain movies on the show, and and I'm like excited about it, and I come back to it, and I'm like, Ugh. but anyways, um, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, we we definitely recommend watching. It. I think it's on Prime now. I think I watched well, it's on it off H- of Prime. It's on Hulu now, and it's on Hulu, so you can watch that if you have Prime or Hulu. Um, I I watched immediately watch High Fidelity after I was done with yeah. this one. Um, he is such a pretentious jackass in that movie. Oh, no. Uh, and, but I mean, he does a good job of playing yeah. it because I'm pretty sure. Well, no, we'll just leave that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you know, I think it's a good movie. If you guys get a chance to watch it, definitely do. Um, uh, it's got all the greats of the '90s. The you know, good music, uh, good characters. John Cusack doing what he did in the '90s, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Mini Driver, who was a big pull uh, back in the '90s. You know, it's all '90s stuff, but. Some great performances. It's it's a it's a funny movie. Uh, Piven is hilarious in it as always. Um, all the characters do you know a really good job, and it's a good kind of um, reunion, falling in love with a past love type of story. And John Cusack movie. And it's a John Cusack movie. So um, stick with us. Uh, we're gonna do a couple more movies this month, uh, kind of rom comish um, because of the month, and um, starting in March. Um, due to Drew's awesome genius, 
suggesting that we do a month because we've been wanting to do a month of a uh, character profile, basically, where we pick one actor or uh, one director or something like that and review a bunch of their movies throughout the month. Um, so we've decided that we want our first uh, character like or actor profile or whatever to be Adam Sandler because, you know, so many of his movies, you know, were just ingrained as part of our childhood yep. and a part of our adulthood and to our this teenagehood day. and all this kind of stuff. Um, did you have a hood in your teenage years, a teenagehood? I, I wore hoodies. <laughs> Is that I was waiting for you to say something like something jackassish, but um, anyways, uh, so yeah, we we're gonna be doing uh, some Adam Sandler movies, uh, basically our favorites. But we believe that they cover the five movies we're doing in March of Adam Sandler's. They basically covers all the good parts of his life, at least up until about the 2005 yeah. period. Um, you know, because he, he like many actors of the 90s or whatever, early 2000s, they kind of. You know, yeah, but he's one of those lot. rare ones that are able to come back. Like lately, he's been coming back uh, with with some, some serious some roles, awesome, and, awesome movies. Right. And uh, I don't care what people say. You know, Adam Sandler uh, is basically like Nickelback to me. Like he gets a lot of crap for being cheesy and all this kind of stuff. Oh, but he's one of my favorite actors, though. There's a reason he has staying power, just yep. like Nickelback. There's a reason he's made tons of money, just like Nickelback. Yep. Uh, people like their stuff. Yeah. Uh, people like Adam Sandler's comedy. They like his uh, his just goofiness, his, his schlub that's, you know, forever is not able to grow up. You know, that's basically yeah. Adam Sandler's niche is is playing. You He's know, one of those over exaggerated Nicolas Cage actors. Right. You know? Somebody that hasn't uh, that has huge potential and oh, man. never strives to reach it and then finally finds it. But that's basically the premise. For I mean, every and Adam genuinely in real life is a outstanding human being. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you hear all, everything all the done. time. He's one of those people that that you hear all the time is one of the nicest is the nicest guy in Hollywood. Like you heard what Terry Crews said Reeves about him, right? Different things. Yeah, he helped. He yeah. uh, Adam Sandler helped out Terry Crews mm-hmm. when he was dealing with some stuff. Um, you know, it, it's just it's one of these things we we love Adam Sandler. We love all his movies. Um, and he is he's one of these guys that that you look at and you think, you know, he's he seems just like this such a great guy you know he's always so seems always so humble and all that kind of yeah. stuff anyways we're uh we we got some uh some drew barrymore in there we got we got a bunch of stuff we think you guys are gonna like in march so stick with us for that um and then we are gonna be doing um you know i've stated that uh, eternal sunshine is my favorite movie that's as an adult we're gonna be doing what i say is my favorite movie as a kid and maybe of all time it's a cheesy action movie but we're still gonna do it um, for our season finale um, in April. So uh, stick with us. We're going to uh, finish out this uh, this season strong. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're at the Post Credit Podcast on all our social media, uh, except for Twitter. At, we're at the Post Credit. Our email is the Post Credit Podcast at gmail.com. Our website is uh, www.thepostcreditpodcast.com. And uh, we're on YouTube also. So hit us up there. Contact us. Let us know what your favorite 90s movies are. Let us know what your favorite Adam Sandler movies are. Let us know what your favorite John Cusack movies are. Uh, We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a bone.